So I wanted to talk to you this morning a message titled, Choose a Filter. Choose a Filter. So if, you know, this kind of technology wasn't available when I was younger, that you could take a picture and you could literally choose whatever filter you wanted. You can um, suck stuff in, you can suck stuff out, you could change your whole face around, you can look 10 years younger, you can do whatever you want with a filter. It's pretty amazing because we live in this selfie generation. Do you all like to take selfies? Where's my selfie people at? Okay, so I can't take a selfie to save my life. I never know how to hold the phone right. It always looks awkward, and, and it just becomes a big mess. And so I have to enlist my kids uh, to take the picture, like whatever I'm trying to make it look like I'm doing. I have to tell them exactly how we're going to stage this picture. So if you have me on social media, none of that stuff is like me doing it. It's like my kids trying to, you know, okay, mom, if it's really badly done, then it was me. It was definitely me. But if you uh, ask anyone under the age of 25, they will take this phone and they will take a selfie as if their hand was created to do it. I mean, they know the exact position, the exact location to get it just right. But you give it to me, I'm like, oh, no, I don't know. I don't know. I get all sloppy. I don't know what to do with it. Uh, but if you're on social media, on any type of social media, you see people's filtered posts all day long. Uh, I, I would love to say that I, I could post something like spontaneous, like I wish my kids would catch me doing something super awesome and take a picture of it and be like, wow, mom just happened to be like working out while doing the dishes and feeding the dog and, and wow, she's amazing and she's making dinner. Oh my gosh, I wish they would post something amazing about their mother, but I have to tell them, you better post something nice about me on my birthday, at least. <laughs> I have to force them to do it and they're like, well, send me a picture. Well, I can't take a picture but do something cool about me. But we always see stuff of, of what everybody wants you to see. When you look through social media, you see what they want you to see. They're perfectly posed, they're perfectly filtered, they're doing something amazing like rescuing the dogs or they're you know, saving you from a burning building or they're doing something in the gym and they just happen to you know, walk by the mirror and they just happen to be, have their phone and be like, Flex Friday. Right? Working it out. That's what you see when you go through social media. But how come we, we never see the guy that, like, that's honest with himself and he's all jazzed and, and the guy there he is at the gym and he's got his Nike outfit from head to toe. He's like fitted out, ready to go. It's January 1. He's like hashtag working it out. This is my year. You know, all this stuff. Only to sit in the gym parking lot, knock back a Big Mac and a large fry, wash it down with a Coke, and then be like, you know what? I'm going to start tomorrow. <laughs> Nobody posts that picture. How come we don't see the pictures of the, the poor mother who's just haggard as can be raising her toddlers and she's chasing her toddler across the floor one more time because she pooped all over the place? And, you know, where's that picture? That's not what we see. We see the pictures that are perfectly posed and perfectly put together. Why? Because we are obsessed with ourselves. We are obsessed with ourselves. We are obsessed. We want to look the best. We want to be the best. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, we have a, a slogan at the city center, and it bears witness here at Oasis, that we want to raise the standard. We want to raise the standard in our lives. We want to be the best. We want to look the best. We want to put our best foot forward. Listen, I'm 42 years old. Give me all the filters. I need them. Bring the filters. I don't know why this team does not have this lighting like Mariah Carey for me. 
I don't know why glitter doesn't fall from the ceiling when I'm up here to make me look good. Come on, guys, let's, get, let's, let's improve a little bit. I'm all for a filter. But we have to know that very often the enemy of our soul, Satan himself, if we are not careful, he can be the mastermind behind our selfie. What do I mean by that? Well, let's take a look at it. So I love scripture because you can find principles that run from scripture all the way from Genesis and they'll go all the way to Revelation and it will be the same theme that runs throughout in a particular passage of scripture. And it's wonderful when you see God's word just kind of tie in and intersect in different ways throughout scripture. And one of those ways is the instructions and the commands of God that God gave to Abram in Genesis chapter 12. He told Abram, I want you to leave this place and I want you to go to the place I'm going to send you. And then we get to Matthew, at the end of Matthew, where Jesus has died on the cross for our sins. He has been raised from the dead. He has um, appeared to his disciples and to many others during a period of 40 days. And now he's getting ready to go and ascend up to heaven and sit at the right hand of God the Father. And he leaves us again with a command, just like he told Abram to go. He now, in the New Testament, we are being told to go he says, go, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I want you to go and make disciples. Both covenants of promise, one continuing the other, the command was to go. You and I, we are to infiltrate the world with the gospel of Jesus. That is what we are here to do. And so as we're new in this building and we're new in Oasis Church, it's important that we keep the conversation going about church culture and what we as Oasis members want this church to be known for. If you are part of our church, you are a member here of Oasis. You're part of the family, and so you represent Oasis. We talked about Oasis being known as loyal people, people that, that just have their friends' backs. We, we don't talk about people behind their back. We're loyal people. We want to be known as kind people. Uh, we've talked about being known as people that don't back down from a fight when the enemy is pushing our buttons. But our, our main thrust here at Oasis Church and what we want to be known for is that church that pushes hope. We are people that push hope because we have hope to offer. We want to give everyone this great gift that they need to know that there is hope for a better tomorrow. They need to know that there is hope for their future to be grand. People need to know that there is hope for their, their, their mind to be sound and, and them to have peace. People need to know that there is hope for them to be out of debt. People need to know that there is hope that they don't have to be sick in their bodies. People need to know that they can have restoration in their marriages and in their families. They need to know this great hope. And you and I are the pushers of that hope that is available because we serve the God of all hope and his name is Jesus. He is the God of all hope. And it's this hope that you and I have got to share with people. The command given by Jesus was that we would go and that we would share. He didn't command us 
to keep quiet about this hope. He didn't say keep this hope to yourself. He said, I want you to go and I want you to share it. So you have to imagine the earth in its totality. And you have to picture that every single time somebody shares about Jesus, every single time somebody does something that's kind, that's good, that God led you to do for that person, that is sharing the gospel. It doesn't have to be a, a weird, kooky thing where you share the gospel with somebody. You don't have to be like a, where people say, man, that person's like a spiritual wingnut. You don't have to be that person. You don't have to be kooky and weird. You just be you and be normal. Wear your filter of you. And as you're kind and you're gracious, you're sharing that love of Jesus. And you have to imagine that the earth, just these little light bulbs just begin to bing, 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 just all over the earth as that hope is being shared. I think sometimes uh, people assume that it's the responsibility of the church to do the sharing. And it is. If you bring people here, we absolutely will share that hope with them as we do every week with you. But our job as those that work in the church for our vocation, our job is to empower and equip you. So if we can empower, if we can encourage, and we can equip you, then you can go out into this world and you can go as Jesus commanded us to go. It's no more our responsibility than it is your responsibility. We are all in this thing together. Uh, this world is dark. This world needs Jesus. This world needs hope. Um, but being in ministry doesn't mean in the church. You are all ministers of the gospel. Did you know that this morning? You are a minister of the gospel. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are a minister. You are a minister. You are a minister of the gospel. Wear that title well. Think about it like this, though. The church, we've got light in here. The light is here. The hope is here in the church. So God's going to call you, and, and he's entrusting you to take it out into the community. He's trusting you to take it out into your workplace. That's a big trust that he gives to you. So I want to uh, look at the book of Kings, if you will, with me really quickly. I want to show you a concept in Scripture that's going to lead us to ensuring that we put up our guard against this tendency that you and I have to be self obsessed. First Kings says, God gave Solomon very great wisdom and understanding. He was known as the smartest man and knowledge as vast as the sands of the seashore. In fact, his wisdom exceeded that of all the wise men in the east and the wise men of Egypt. He composed some 3,000 proverbs and he wrote 1,005 songs. He could speak with authority about all kinds of plants from the great cedar of Lebanon to the tiny hyssop that grows from cracks in a wall. I call that a weed. He could also speak about animals, birds, small creatures, and fish. And kings from every nation sent their ambassadors to listen to the wisdom of Solomon. So God gave Solomon this tremendous wisdom. He was smart in so many different fields. He was wise in plants and in animals, in trees, creatures, fish, on and on. God gave Solomon so many different fields to be wise in because that shows us that our calling can take us into various different fields. There's not just a one-stop shop where every believer should work. No, there's various different fields for you and I to be in. Every field belongs to God. Psalms 24 verse 1, it says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those that dwell therein. Every field of work belongs to God. If it's good, 
And if it's ethical, you can always trace it back to God. There is absolutely nothing about which God does not know everything. There is absolutely nothing about which God does not know everything. So let's look at a few of the fields that were created by God, but yet somehow man now thinks they created these fields. There's the field of biology. God created it. There's the field of sociology, psychology, technology, zoology. God created it all. The field of ornithology. Do you know what that is? It's the study of birds. And I do believe scripture says that God knows what every little sparrow is up to. So yeah, God created ornithology. Meteorology, God created that, right? Um, uh, Archaeology, God created that. God, the, the very God that conceals things is the God that reveals things. All of the sciences, God created science. He is science. God is science. He's social science, political science, health science. Science is not God's objection. Science was God's idea. When we take God out of science, that's when we have a problem. The field of music, God created it. The arts, God created them. All the colors, all the dimensions, uh, the gift for people to write books, God created that. You see, God created everything. So every field that you and I could possibly find ourselves in, it was created by God Almighty himself. So it makes perfect sense that he says, now I want you to get out there in my creation and I want you to share this hope that I've given you. And and furthermore, I'm going to empower you with the Holy Spirit to get out there and do it. I'm not going to send you out there alone to just figure out what to say and what to do. I'm going to empower you with the Holy Spirit as you're in the field that I created. That's a pretty good God. I love Colossians chapter 1 because it says, For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we see and he made the things we can't see. He existed before anything else. And he holds all creation together. So this is how this goes. God is a know-it-all. Have you ever been around a know-it-all? And you're like, oh my gosh, she thinks she knows everything. <laughs> Anybody been around know-it-alls? Man, when you're around a know-it-all, just be quiet. It's not going to help. Just let them be their know-it-all self. But God really is a know-it-all. He knows every field. Can he fill you with his spirit and trust you that you're going to bring that light into the darkness? Of course he can. Of course he can, but we've got to get our selfie out of the way just for a minute, just for a minute. Picture all the different fields that there are to work in. There's hospitals, there's banks, there's grocery stores, uh, there's retail, there's insurance companies, there's you can be an accountant. The list goes on and on of what you can do for your job. But you, as the saint of God that's placed in that job, you are the saint of God. If you're in Jesus, you are a saint of God. You are being equipped for the work of the ministry. You are in the ministry. Every field belongs to God. But here's where it gets tricky. It gets tricky when we're in our field of work, whatever it is. The hard part is ensuring that you and I stay in Christ, that we keep our heart, our soul, our mind, and our body in Christ, focused on Jesus, anchored to his word. Because every person, every one of us, regardless of our field, We will not be faithful to God on accident. 
You will not just, oh, by accident, I was faithful to God. No, you're going to be faithful to God on purpose. You're going to be faithful to God because you will have intended to be faithful. Because what comes naturally to human nature is to focus on ourselves. It's to satisfy ourselves. It's the selfie generation that we live in. And so we have to purpose to remain faithful to the call of God on our lives. What if we chose today to devote our field of work to God, 100%, wherever you work, whatever field you're in, you just chose today, I'm going to devote that to God. I'm going to allow God to work through me because we here at Oasis Church want each one to reach one, just one person that you would reach. And maybe you're in a field where you don't have a, a, a particular field for your vocation. Maybe you're in a season where you're at home, you're, you're retired or you're raising your children or whatever has you at home. You still have a community you go into. You still have a grocery store you go that's your field so we're encouraging everybody to reach one person in their field but I want to show you a quick video maybe we can learn how we should not show the Lord to people go ahead and show that video sorry I'm late no it's okay I'm glad you're here Mm. coffee is hot that the worst. Oh, I just burnt my tongue. You know what? You think that's hot? You gotta try that burn like 10 billion times worse all over your entire body as you fall into the pits of hell because you haven't surrendered your life over to the will of Jesus Christ. Huh? That's a burn you won't get over. <laughs> I saved you a cookie. Don't do that. So don't do that. So go to our cafe, have coffee with someone, but don't tell them they're going to hell. Don't do that. (laughs) But I want to shed light on one of the slyest schemes the enemy has going today. And that is the fact that Satan places bets on our high self-interest. All he has to do is say, you know what? These people are pretty self-interested. They're pretty self-absorbed, pretty self-obsessed. I'll just place my bet that I can just appeal to their self-interest. It started in the garden. He did it to Adam and Eve. Remember, he's saying, why do you want to worship God? He's just trying to keep you from being one yourself. That's not very fair. He places bets on our high self-interest. I want to look in Matthew chapter 16, how this plays out with Simon Peter, because if it could happen to him, it can happen to us. The Apostle Peter was already showing extreme brilliance uh, by this time in the Scripture. Prior to where we read in a moment, Peter had been given the ultimate compliment by Jesus. When Jesus had his disciples around him and he asked them, who do you say that I am? And they gave various suggestions. and, And then he said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter was the only one that said, Lord, you're the Messiah. You're the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, that's right, Peter, blessed are you, Simon of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And he goes on to say, your name is now Peter, and I'm going to build my church on this, and I'm going to give you the, the keys of the kingdom. And he says all these great things to Peter, and Peter is like the bee's knees in this moment. I mean, he is feeling like, I am tough stuff, I am big boss applesauce. But watch what happens right after that. Right after Peter is given this amazing, affirming uh, word from him, from the Lord to him, we find ourselves in the next passage of Scripture. 
And it says in Matthew 16, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. And Peter took him aside and he began to rebuke him saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Jesus was just going on about how awesome Peter was. God revealed stuff to you, Peter. That's so cool. Whoa, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. Why does Jesus connect Satan's brashest work with the mindset of things on man? I'll tell you why. Because Satan's most powerful scheme is to make man think he has got a better idea than God. We could just do a little bit better of a job. God, you just don't really know my situation. I could probably give you some ideas on how to get me out of it. Peter was like, you do not need to do that, Lord. No, what are you even saying? God would never ask you to sacrifice like that. God would not want you to lay down your life. You do not need to do that. And here we are on the other side of Scripture. Had Jesus listened to Peter, we would be lost forever. Because that was exactly what Jesus came to do. But because Peter had his mind on things of man, he couldn't decipher that that was the case. Because here's the paradox. God's interest will always be in your best interest. God's best interest will always be in your best interest. But the devil, his scheme is that he comes onto this earth with counterfeit humanitarianism. He pretends like he cares about us. He masquerades like an angel of light. He tries to make you think he cares about you. He knows good and well that the majority of people are not going to worship Satan, right? And so a few will, but not many, not the masses. And so if he can go after the believers and try to disconnect us from God, that's all he really has to do. So he comes in with this counterfeit humanitarianism, pretending like he cares about you. Listen, I'm all about you. God's all about himself. I'm all about you. I care about you. I'm all about how you feel. I'm all about what you want. What do you need? What do you wish would happen? What do you see that God's not doing? I'm all about you. I'm interested in you. But he's not interested in you. He's not interested in you one bit. The only thing he is interested in is sending you to hell. That's it. That's it. He's interested in disconnecting you from God. He wants to cheat you of God and cheat God of you. I'm all about you, he says. If he can steal your faith, then he's got the upper hand. If he can cause you to doubt God, then he's got the upper hand. If he can make you think you've got a better idea than God, then he knows he's got the upper hand. The more Satan can work behind the scenes, the better. Remember, all he has to do is place bets on our high level of self-interest. In Genesis chapter 11, we see where this originated in Scripture. Uh, it's such a fascinating study in Genesis chapter 11. God had told the people to scatter and cover the earth. But instead, they decided, no, no, let's build a tower and make a name for ourselves. 
And so because God confused their languages there, it's referred to as the Tower of Babel. Now, the word Babel actually is found in the Hebrew language for the location Babylon, which is very important. We're talking about having a low tolerance for God interests and a high tolerance for self-interests. Because I hate to even say it. I know it doesn't apply to everyone in this room. But we are all vulnerable to having these these high self-interests. What are God interests? Well, that would be whatever God is interested in seeing in your life. So we have to look at the word for it. We know that God is interested in you being healthy. And so we know that there's things we have to do for ourselves to try to keep ourselves healthy and and we do the best we can. But there's also times in our lives when nothing you could have done could have prevented the health situation that you have today. And so when you come into those situations, you have to choose to have a high God interest and remind yourself that Jesus already took that sickness to the cross so you don't have to carry that disease with you. That's, you have to have a high God interest to believe that to be true. God is interested in you living a peaceful life. Over and over in the Bible, we see where he gave us the gift of peace. But it's evidenced in our lives very often that that's a low interest to us by the, the choices that we make that steal our peace, the relationships that we keep in our lives that steal our peace, the things that we do that steal our peace. That shows that's low on our interest level. God wants us to prosper in our finances. He does. He wants you to be resourceful. He, scripture says he delights in the prosperity of the saints. But in order to have that prosperity, we know what the word says. We know the word says you have to tithe. You've got to give your offerings. We know scripture says that to be true. But it's a low interest for many believers because we just think, well, maybe God just doesn't know how much I need this. It's a low interest for us in the life of many believers. Low tolerance for God interests and a high tolerance for self-interest. In closing... So man builds a tower to make a name for themselves. What was originally called Babylon, a location, in the book of Isaiah, it's actually referred to as a mentality, the Babylon mentality. Now, you can study Babylon all the way from Genesis through Isaiah. You'll find it in Revelation 18. Babylon comes up again. It's a fascinating study. We don't want to have the Babylonian mentality Because the Babylonian mentality is all about me. And I'm going to read you this scripture where God gives us Babylon's motto. In Isaiah chapter 47, it says, Now therefore hear this, you lover of pleasure, who sit securely, who say in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me. Verse 10 says, You felt secure in your wickedness. You said no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge led you astray, and you said in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me. Now, this is obviously a blasphemous play on, uh, in the book of Exodus when Moses said to God, Lord, who do you want me to tell the people that you are? And God said, you tell them I am who I am. And here we have this Babylonian mentality that says, I am, and there's no one besides me. I am, and there's no one on my camera roll 
except me. I am. And there's nobody in this video except me. Right? I am. And there's no one in this selfie except me. It's this selfie generation that we live in today. I don't know about you, but when I read that scripture, it overwhelms me. It has overwhelmed me all week long because nobody ever thinks they're self-centered. Nobody ever thinks they're self-absorbed. We never do because it's not intentional. We don't want to be that way. We know everybody else is, right? We can always, oh my gosh, all she does is talk about herself. She is all about herself. We all know people we say that about, right? Oh, everybody else is self-absorbed and self-centered, but not me. I'm a great listener, right? It's never us because we don't want to be that way. We don't want to admit that we think about ourselves all the time. We don't want to admit that we're concerned about our appearance all the time. We don't want to admit that we're worried about our finances all the time. We don't want to admit that we're thinking and, and concerned about what everybody else is thinking about us all the time. If we're honest with ourselves, we think about ourselves all the time. I am, and there is no one besides me. So how do we fight back? How do we fight back against this Babylonian mentality that creeps into the church? Because remember, we were told by Jesus that we are to go and we are to share with people this hope. But if we go through our lives living with this filter on, picking from day to day, what filter am I going to wear today? What, what am I going to let them see today? Then we're not our real authentic selves. And nobody wants that. Nobody wants phony baloney. Nobody wants a bunch of compromise and stuff. Nobody wants that. That doesn't appeal to anybody. So today, my challenge to myself this week and, and to you is that we would choose the filter of godliness and just be people that love God. We just are who we are. Yes, we've got faults. Man, we mess up. Yeah, we do. We've got this filter of grace. I've got my grace filter on today because God is good. How do we fight back? We have God interests at the forefront of our lives. When my human nature wants to give in to my feelings, I've got to choose that I'm not going to allow that to happen. When my human nature wants to dictate how I'm going to feel today, I've got to choose that I'm not going to let myself be ran by my emotions. I've got to make the choice that I don't let the mirror tell me how I feel today. I have to make the choice that I don't let, if I'm having a bad situation with my family or whatever I'm fighting, that's not going to dictate my day. We live life on purpose as believers, not on accident. How do we fulfill this great commission we have been given to go? We've got to choose our filters. Because remember, God's interest, He's interested in you fulfilling your destiny. He's interested in you being peaceful. He's interested in you having prosperity. He's interested in you being healthy. God is interested in you having everything that He died for you to have. But His main interest is people going to eternity with Him. That is God's main interest. 
He wants people to spend eternity with him. But if we are so self-focused, we forget that there's people to our left and to our rights that don't believe in Jesus. And scripture says they've got to believe in the Lord. And it is our job given to us out of Matthew 18 that we are to go. We are to go. We are to go. That means it's our job to share with people this great hope that we have. Oh, friends, the time is so short. A few years back, I don't know why this happened to me, but I felt such a strong sense of of grasping what eternity was. I had this strong awareness of eternity. And I don't know if God was preparing me because we lost someone really close to us and maybe I needed to have that sense of eternity. But man, a few years back, I just was gripped with this strong sense that eternity is so real and that this life that we live here is just but a vapor. Scripture says life is a vapor. You can't compare to what's happening for you, what's waiting for you in eternity. And so as you and I go about life and we have these troubles, uh, Scripture tells us they're called they're momentary troubles. Y'all, we've got momentary troubles, but the Bible says what waits for us in glory outweighs any momentary trouble you can have here on this earth. So if you can, like me, ask God for that glimpse of glory. God, give me a glimpse of eternity that I will know what the hope is that's waiting for me because if we focus on eternity and we're kingdom-minded, then all the stuff that comes against us here on this earth will know it's just fleeting. It's just momentary. This is just momentary. It's just small. It's nothing. It's nothing in comparison to what I've got waiting for me in glory. But the only thing we can take with us to glory is people. So I want to challenge you this week as I invite the team to come back. Man, I have searched my heart this week with this scripture. Because I don't want to be all about me. I don't want to say I am and there's no one besides me. Let it never be said of us as believers. And it's all about us. It's all about me. Make me happy, take care of me, do what I need, meet my needs. Me, 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 self-care, self-talk, self-help, me, me, me. When we take our eyes off of me, oh my gosh, there's a huge horizon out there. This is boring. But out there, oh my gosh, there's so much to do and so much to see.